0: sees its fourth day of losses. As Fed minutes show, the central bank is still determined to bring inflation back to targets. And Lewis Fed President Jim Bullard telling CNBC the Fed is still ready to act.
1: Our risk right now is that inflation doesn't come down or re-accelerate And then what do we do? Uh, we are going to have to move and react in that environment.
0: Is the possibility of boosting its nuclear forces as President Putin welcomes China's top diplomat to sh- 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 Moscow in a public show of deepening ties.
2: The United leaders band together vowing to shore up NATO's eastern flank as Sweden and Finland push for a speedy accession. Sweden's defense minister tells CNBC the alliance is stronger together.
3: Together with Finland. Today also file an application for for NATO and that's why we're so eager to get into the alliance and we think that we can be security providers to the alliance because we have assets and capabilities that can make NATO stronger.
2: And NVIDIA delivers an upbeat fourth quarter report as the chipmaker alters its business model in a bid to hone in on the AI boom.
0: So let's kick off the program by focusing down on the fed minutes here because the market clearly was fascinated by what emanated from that meeting the uh, earlier Uh, in the month policy meeting showed the voting committee members discussed how continued strength in the economy could force their hand on interest rate hikes. Well, officials decided unanimously to lift interest rates 25 basis points earlier this month, with most arguing a slower pace provides the best compromise between a hard or a soft landing for the economy. But the minutes also flagged the risk that insufficiently restrictive policy could quote halt recent progress in moderating inflationary pressures hinting that larger hikes could return if the committee feels they are required the st louis fed president jim bullard who doesn't have a vote this year told cnbc in an exclusive interview that he sees uh, economic strength continuing markets have uh overpriced
1: a recession in the second half of 2022 and overpriced a recession in the first half of 2023 maybe they're overpricing the chances of recession in the second half 2023 you got china coming on board you've got a stronger europe than we thought uh it kind of seems like the u.s economy might be more resilient than markets thought let's say six or eight weeks ago
2: U.S. markets battling the Fed yesterday in those minutes, uh, suggesting that uh, the policymakers will try and curb inflation. And what that means for interest rates from here? still be question mark for a lot of investors. And That said, uh, many also just looking at some of the data points we've had to reinforce this picture. US markets. It was the Nasdaq that rallied up about a tenth of a percent in contrast to what we've seen on the back of days like this where there are concerns about the credit story. Uh, typically you see the money coming out of the high growth stocks. But we saw in fact that area supported versus elsewhere. The S&P index down about a tenth plus and about a quarter of one percent coming off the Dow. So a reverse for those two major indices for the Dow. It is another downbeat session, second negative one in a row. Big moving stocks to the downside. Worth noting, Microsoft still seeing some reversal here. It was Amazon that provided some of the prop that we saw in the tech sector. Taking to Treasuries, this is a read-in on how the market is shaping up on the bond market. We have been very close to that 4% handle, but even with the minutes I've digested yesterday, we did peel a little bit lower, 3.91 on the trade, 4.69 at the short end on the two-year to the dollar there were some uh, broad-based gains on the back of the minutes but morning session you've got euro and sterling trying to recover some territory we've been around a seven-week trough on that euro dollar trade 120.61 on sterling 106.19 on euro dollar dollar also giving up some territory versus the japanese yen and versus the swiss franc this morning the safe haven trades Elsewhere, to uh, the commodities complex, WTI, Brent and Gold all in favour this morning. Modest bounces across the board. Uh, we're just off the 81 handle on Brent, uh, about 74 plus on WTI and 18.29 on spot gold prices. The Asian market extra Japan. Japan's not trading today, but these markets you can see mostly weaker, picking up on some of the caution that still remains in global equities at this stage. We've got Hong Kong markets, Shanghai roughly two-tenths of percent down, four-tenths coming off the Australian market, only like gains for the nifty-fifty.
0: Russian President Vladimir Putin says the country will boost its own nuclear forces. This after the Kremlin announced a withdrawal from the last remaining nuclear arms control treaty with the U.S. Putin said Russia will continue mass production of its hypersonic missiles and will conduct military exercises alongside China in South Africa. The U.S. President Joe Biden called Russia's decision to suspend the mutual nuclear treaty a, quote, big mistake. But in an interview with ABC News in Warsaw, Biden said he didn't see any evidence that the Kremlin was stepping up its nuclear capabilities.
4: We're less safe when we walk away from arms control agreements that are very much in both parties' interests and the world's interest. But I've not seen anything, we've not seen anything where there's a change in its posture, what they're doing, the idea that somehow this means they're Thinking of new, using nuclear weapons, international continental ballistic missiles, there's no evidence of
0: that. China's top diplomat Wang Yi says the country wants to maintain cooperation with Russia regardless of the international situation during a bilateral meeting in Moscow. He praised the strategic partnership between the two countries. Under the strategic guidance of President Xi Jinping and President Putin, the China-Russia Comprehensive Strategic Partnership of Coordination for a New Era has begun operating at a high level.
2: Meanwhile, NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg said the alliance could not allow Russia to chip away at European security. In an interview with the Associated Press, Stoltenberg said NATO should continue defending its territory. NATO is not
0: party to the conflict, but we support Ukraine, and NATO allies have provided unprecedented support. The other task we have is to prevent this war from escalating beyond Ukraine and become a full-fledged war uh, between uh, Russia and NATO. And to ensure that we have significantly increased our military presence in the eastern part of the alliance uh, with more troops uh, backed by uh, uh, significant air and naval power to send a very clear Mos- uh, message to Moscow that uh, 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 we protect every of NATO territory.
2: The Hungarian parliament will begin its debate on Finland and Sweden's application to join NATO next week. Let's get out to Sylvia for more in Stockholm. Sylvia, a lot of important discussions taking place this week. Just bring us up to speed
4: exactly good morning from a snowy and somehow rainy as well Stockholm and I have to say that I have been in Sweden since the start of the week and there's a couple of points Karen that are very clear at this stage this country feels that it has done enough to join NATO they have done their part and therefore they're saying that at this stage it's up to both Hungary and Turkey to ratify the accession process for Sweden but also for Finland when it comes to these two nations becoming full members of NATO. Another point that's also very clear. They're still working under the assumption that by July both Sweden and Finland will be full members of the defense alliance. July is an important month because that's when the NATO will have its huge summit and therefore they're expecting that that meeting will pave the way for full membership. But of course it all depends on Hungary and Turkey. At this stage we have heard from Turkey, from Hungary I should say, saying that they are going to discuss this in the coming weeks. We're expecting a vote at some point in March as well. But when it comes to Turkey, we're still unclear about their timeline. They're having elections in May and therefore it might be all the way until June for the uh, Turkish authorities to actually say yes to these memberships. But let's see how the situation will unfold. Also important to bear in mind that we got an important announcement from Russia earlier this week. The Russian president made it clear in his speech that he was putting a pause, he was putting essentially an end to that important nuclear arms control deal with the United States. And I asked the Swedish prime minister uh, here yesterday, what does this mean for Sweden? Does this mean that this country feels that it's more important than ever to become a NATO member? This is what he had to say
3: our joint efforts and joint commitment to Arctic area has been there before the last year, obviously. I mean, so so that is not nothing new. And, the, and geography has been the same for quite <laughs> some time. So, uh, but I think it's quite obvious that the, the, the more Russia poses a threat to us, the more uh, kind of borderless we need to be able to defend ourselves and use all our assets, harbors and all the military capabilities we have. And of course, we realised the fact that in Murmansk, we have, we have a, a very heavy uh, Russian nuclear armament, and that, that's a fact. So there is very good reason for us uh, already now, but even more so within NATO to cooperate in this very, very specific part of the world.
4: But Sweden is not just waiting for Turkey and Hungary to conclude those processes in the meantime they are increasing cooperation with NATO overall in particular with Norway of course and then they're also stepping up their support to Ukraine and a big question here is whether Sweden will actually send fighter jets to Ukraine as well as requested by the Ukrainians. I had the chance to speak to the Swedish defense minister yesterday and he told me that it would be very difficult for Sweden to do that. Here's why.
3: Supporting Ukraine is really investing into our own security. We provided air defence, we provided uh, combat vehicle 90, we, we do training of, of also at Interflex, and we do it in EU-man Ukraine. So we do a lot of that. Fighter jets is difficult because the ones we have we need to to use in order to to, uh, to maintain our territorial integrity. Uh, When I look at the Russian capabilities, they're severely downgraded when it comes to the land component right now. But when it comes to their assets, both in in the air and on naval assets, are pretty much uh, unchanged. So Therefore, uh, for right now, uh, Gripen is in the too hard to do box for me.
4: So, in essence, would you say that you are also slightly more concerned about Russia posing a threat to Sweden at this stage?
3: Sure, what we take note of is that Russia has a very low threshold for the use of military force and it takes great political and military risk and that's something we're cognizant about and therefore Sweden together with Finland uh, could also file an application for, for NATO and that's why we're so eager also get into the alliance and we think that we can be security providers to the alliance because we have assets and capabilities that can make NATO stronger. We have a strong air defense, we have patriots, we have gripping fighters, we have submarines. We have a strong defense industrial base. There's no other country of 10 million who can produce submarines, fighter aircraft, very advanced combat vehicles and artillery systems, for example. And we also have great Russia expertise in our intelligence community.
4: So the, the, the Swedish defense minister there making it clear that for the time being fighter jets, sending fighter jets to Ukraine would be very difficult because Sweden also needs them themselves. They want to feel secure and the, of course it's also important to keep in mind that when you step back and you look at what Sweden is trying to do over the last 12 months since Russia started this invasion of Ukraine, this is a huge shift in a foreign policy. Let's not forget that this country has for more than 200 three years chosen non-military alignment so they wanted to be militarily independent and with the Russian invasion Sweden felt that it was no longer safe to be uh, uh, on its own and therefore this NATO membership is becoming increasingly more important for this country.
0: Terrific thanks so much for that Sylvia we'll catch up with you a, a little bit later on. Still to come on the program this morning as we mark this anniversary of Russia's invasion um, What's the outlook for Germany, the country counting the cost of war in Ukraine? Obviously, energy prices have taken a bite out of the economy. But will Germany slip into recession? We will be live in Berlin very shortly.
2: And for more on the Fed Minutes and market reaction, as well as the latest on Finland and Sweden's ambitions to join NATO, check out the Squawkbox podcast. Russia's war in Ukraine has already cost Germany an estimated 2.5% of its GDP. That is less than had been expected, but it is still pushing Europe's biggest economy towards recession. And one prominent business lobby group expects more downside. The Association of German Chambers of Commerce and Industry forecast the conflict could cost Germany about 4% of GDP by the end of this year. German GDP contracted in the fourth quarter, and the Bundesbank warns output in Q1 is likely to be lower. Let's get out to Anetta for more as Germany counts the cost of war. Annette.
5: Well, thank you so much. Yes, indeed, Germany is, of course, feeling the the, the burden from the high energy prices. We're battling with high inflation, like um, many other countries as well, and that is actually one of the major, um, yeah, downside effects on the German economy. So, high energy prices triggered high inflation across the board, and of course, it's also again, um, like in other countries, it's m- mainly the yeah middle income sector who is feeling the brunt from uh, the high inflation. And, of course, there are various estimates. The DIW, the, uh, one of the most renowned German um, forecast institutes, are estimating that, as well during the course of this year, the war and the ripple-on effects will cost the German economy up to 200 billion euro um, because of higher inflation and higher costs overall. But, of course, that's only one effect from the Ukraine war. It's also about geopolitics political um, issues. It's also about um, changes in supply chains for German corporates, and uh, about it's also about making production decisions across the globe. And That's one aspect, but political aspects are of course uh, at the forefront of the whole um, of, the, of the war in the Ukraine. And we're now joined by Stefan Meister, who is the head of the Center for Order and Governance in Eastern Europe, Russia.
0: Uh, We've got a problem here, I think. Um, Stefan, hopefully you can hear me, because we seem to have lost a Uh Stefan Meister, of course, the head of the Centre for Order and Governance in Eastern Europe, Russia and Central Asia at the DGAP. Um, Stefan, let, let me ask you, um, just give us your read on how Germany recovers here, particularly when it comes to its strategic and military posture, Because the the German public have had to catch up very quickly with this shift in approach to the military and also the way that they've needed to adjusted living given the higher energy prices.
1: Well, I think it, uh, the, after the Zeitman speech of Olaf Scholz, um, uh, I think there was a huge change uh, from the German side in terms of um, starting the decoupling from Russian gas, investing also in or at least providing uh, huge funding for uh, for for the military sector, providing weapons uh, to to Ukraine. I think that was a big shift. Uh, yeah, and there were like taboo breaks also for for the for the de- German side. But as you can see also how Olaf Scholz our chancellor the German chancellor is stepping forward um he's very careful in not 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 being the first in not leading in not providing too much so i think that reflects also the mood in the society uh, yes we support ukraine yes we will also uh, suffer in a way economically from it but we don't want to to go too too fast too far and we don't want to be the first to who, who are escalating uh, with russia so i think it's 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 half halfway yeah and it's a kind of a transition of the german society in this new geopolitical reality
0: so i mean a lot of the uh, responsibility for this has been laid at the door of herr schultz and his personal antipathy it seems to moving too quickly on this issue of um, sending battle tanks and sending offensive military to ukraine here Um, why do you think he has dragged his feet is it about the um the nature of public sentiment or is it his personal reluctance to see germany irritate its large neighbor
1: i think it's both it's it's about the personality of of olaf Scholz who who is a very careful person he's is risk averse also in a way um, and he he wants he wants before he makes a decision he he is, he is rather waiting than stepping stepping forward and and trying things so i think it's really a structural personal thing but on the other hand i think it's also about his own party the social democratic party which which invented the ostpolitik uh, in during the cold war time and also after the cold war uh, and and the mood in the society, which is coming very much from a pac- pacifistic angle, and uh, it feels not comfortable with this war and with Germany's role in this war, and also the demand for leadership on the war in Europe. Um, so I think he's he's maybe much closer in this sense on the majority of the German society than Foreign Minister Baerbock, uh, who is much more outspoken about the war and and how we should support Ukraine. Um, yeah, because because exactly this 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 internal struggle about what we should do, how far we should go, that reflects the mood in the German society.
5: Good morning, Stefan. It's Annette as well here in Berlin. I have a question on whether you think that Germany will also in the medium term take on a leadership role in Europe, because clearly that is something many allies are asking Germany to do.
1: To be honest, I'm rather skeptical. I think uh, it's, it's much more about reassurance uh, from Chancellor Scholz that the U.S. is leading uh, in this war. It's also sharing risks uh, with the U.S. and with other partners in NATO. And I, I understand Olaf Scholz as a person who is, who is somehow risk averse. He does not really want to lead, even if he, under, he he has his own understanding how things are moving. But I think Germany has somehow lost its role on the East and on Russia like it has over, over decades uh, in Europe. And I don't see that Scholz will change his policy fundamentally on this.
5: Let me also ask you about the military aspect and military spending because clearly for many years we haven't been reaching the 2% target in Germany and now there's even discussion to, uh, there's even discussion to spend more than this 2%. Do you think this is going to be likely?
1: I think we have to understand that German this 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 uh, extra budget for for defense is 100 billion euro and uh, 200 billion is spent uh, for energy subsidies so you you see the disbalance still uh, uh, that much more is spent on domestic or on the domestic situation, then on uh, on uh, on on the on defense. Um, I think the the main hindrance for more spending is the whole procurement system in Germany. So it's so bureaucratized, uh, it's it's so slow that it's even difficult to spend this 100 billion. So even if Germany now would spend over two percent. Uh, or would have a budget for for more than 2% of the GDP, it might not be able to spend the money because the bureaucratic system is not just not able to, 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 to move forward. And before these reforms are not taken, um, I don't see that Germany really is doing doing the, the 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 big the big spending. Just just one more sentence. I think we have a bureaucratic foreign policy, rather a strategic foreign foreign policy. So everything is somehow bureaucratized in Germany. And that that's dysfunctional and that needs to be changed.
2: Stefan, I want to bring in uh, the conversation around China because of note on the trade side, there have been uh, moves to try and bolster the trade relationship between Germany and China, other countries across Europe, too, with the Chinese. But at this point, we are looking at some intel from the West that Beijing might actually enter this conflict in terms of providing weaponry to Russia. If that were the case, how significant would that event be?
1: Yeah, I think that would change again the perception of China uh, rather as a conflict party, as a supporter of uh, of Russia, then as a as a per, as a country who is able also to to negotiate uh, and 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 maybe help um, to find uh, find a, a cheesefire agreement. I think it will not change fundamentally the German business approach towards uh, China. Uh, China is not Russia. China is much more important for the German economy. German economy has started to diversify uh, away from from China uh, to change also the, uh, the the supply chains. But th- this market is just too important. There were too many investments or too too high investments into China. And I think this decoupling is is not not taking place soon. It's just about it's, it's rather about diversification away from China.
5: Um, it's again, Annette, let me bring you back to domestic policies, because clearly, uh, as you were mentioning as well earlier on, the, the coalition is quite split about whether to send more help to the Ukraine, whether to finance more. What do you think will happen during the course of this year? Will that coalition here in Berlin last?
1: I ask myself also, if, if the German chancellor is not taking leadership, um, it, it's, it's, it's really weakens Europe. And I think uh, then the coalition might not not survive also this year. I, I was asking myself or, or during the last year. But I have the impression even if this coalition is in many ways dysfunctional, it's not able to to making some decisions and to also on the modernization of Germany. Uh, I think still um, it's relatively popular. Um, it's it's a muddling through policy. It's 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 wait and see and then step forward um and i think still this reflects also the mood in the german society not not to move too quick uh, to forward yeah so i think um uh we will we will have over the year this this coalition uh it will survive, but um the support of the society for the war will decline. This also for for weapons supply, it will decline, and we will have more conflicts inside of Germany on the on the on the move moves forward uh w- with regard to the war, more pressure on g- going into peace negotiations with Russia. So I think there will be more conflicts on uh on the on the strategy in dealing with this war.